From Moses, the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, this is the In Her Boots podcast, a show about women cultivating the sustainable and organic agriculture movement and how she does it. My name is Lisa Kiverest, and I founded and lead the award-winning Moses In Her Boots project, providing training, resources, and support for women farmers. I'm a farmer myself, running in serendipity with my family in Wisconsin, and am the author of Soil Sisters, a toolkit for women farmers. The In Her Boots podcast celebrates the collaborative spirit of us women farmers and all women working to transform our food system and steward our land, sharing ideas and inspiration with each other. Whether you're a woman with a dream of starting your own farm or already have your hands deep in the soil, there's something for you here. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss anything. We're continuing our In Her Boots podcast series with F.L. Morris of Grassroots Farm with ideas and inspiration on how to manage risk and make smart decisions in a regional food hub. Embrace the fact that change is constant, advises FL, especially that our climate is increasingly changing and unpredictable. Hear her evolution with CSA and how embracing cooperative strategies helps mitigate risk. FL Morris is a first-generation certified organic vegetable and pastured livestock producer running Grassroots Farm in Monroe, Wisconsin. FL is a founding member and president of the South Central Wisconsin Hemp Cooperative, the first organic farmer-led hemp cooperative in the state. We are continuing with FL Morris of Grassroots Farm and covering a wide diversity of topics, aren't we, FL, on these, these podcasts? But this one we wanted to dig into this idea of how, as a farmer, to manage risk, how to identify what risks you're taking on, particularly from a marketing perspective and marketing in a regional food hub as you did and do, but particularly when you were in Chicago and now here in the Wisconsin region, because we were, how do you define risk? Because really farming is risk, right? There's no thing around that. Yeah. Don't I mean, apply otherwise. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it really is risk and it doesn't matter what kind of farming you're doing. It's actually something that conventional row crop farmers and small-scale or certified organic vegetable farmers can really share. And one of the biggest things that we share, and we're all in it together, is around weather. We have a change in climate. There's There's a whole lot of risk right there. The way that potatoes grew in my soil 10 years ago is not the way that potatoes grow in my soil now. It's just more wet in certain areas, for one thing. Our ex- temperatures are more extreme. Our storms are more extreme. So like the, when I think of risk in farming, my mind automatically snaps to weather. So keeping that on your mind, we got always the unpredictability of weather. But something about small-scale vegetable farming that is a little nugget that I pulled from one of Chris Blanchard's talks was that we're not limited by how much we we can grow. We're limited by how much we can sell. It's so true. If someone came in and said, hey, FL, it's January. I want to sit down and have a conversation with me. Will you grow for me 10 cases of lettuce a week from this time period to this time period? 100 pounds of basil. That's a lot of basil. Um, You know, this many pallets of tomatoes to put into the freezer. If someone came to me with a whole directive, which is essentially what CSA farming is, is like pre-planning what you're going to grow, pre-selling it, and that was how farming worked, that would be great for me because then I wouldn't have to worry about marketing. But the biggest risk is growing too much produce and thinking that your farmer's market is going to be exactly like 
how it was the previous year, the next year. That's just not true. Farmers market manager management, for example, can really define how well a farmer does. And things change from year to year. New vendors come in. There's a whole set of risk right there is people who use the farmer's market model are basically at the mercy of the market management. If they bring in too many vendors that are like you or something else changes in the neighborhood, like a second farmer's market pops up or a local food store, that could take away a third, two thirds of your profit right off the top and you have no idea that it's coming. So CSA in and of itself is a risk management marketing technique because you're pre-selling your vegetables. If you give yourself permission to give those vegetables back in a way that is a little bit flexible, which is why CSA was designed, right? You take a, uh, you share the risk with your customers, or the, the, rather the customers share the risk with you. They invest in your farm at a couple hundred dollars and they get back hopefully that much produce or more depending on how the season goes, right? But that model has really changed and shifted away from protecting us. We've become competitors with each other for an increasingly small number of CSA customers. So now instead of like, here's what's coming from the farm, and yes, it might look kind of similar from week to week, but so what? You still you should still eat kale every week. You know, you should still eat potatoes and um, cucumbers. Like these are things that don't need to change every week. But our competition with each other has created this model that doesn't mitigate risk. It's like now we have to have huge CSA boxes that have exotic vegetables that change every week. And the customer's kind of been conditioning us and then become conditioned by this variety. So CSA was designed to mitigate risk, but I'm not sure if it's gone that direction. Because you've always been a big fan, and we can talk more about it, of the cooperative model, right? As far as a risk strategy too, would you so, call it? So yeah, so not formally. I mean, I, I I mentioned earlier that I was um, engaged in with a um, employment position with Homegrown Wisconsin Co-op and also had some grocery co-op experience. But the way that I kind of took the collaborative model and put it into action on my own farm over the years was by realizing I had neighbors that were growing crops so much better, so much more efficiently had the right kind of equipment, like a potato digger, for example. That's the kind of equipment you want to have to grow potatoes. If you're digging it with a fork by hand, no good, no good. <laughs> so my kind of collective or cooperative strategy, although it wasn't formal as a cooperative, was to realize where my weaknesses or my inefficiencies were as a CSA farmer and plug in my neighbor's very high-quality crops um, to supplement my CSA, be very transparent about that, Um, and be customers essentially of farmers in my neighborhood and put on a small upcharge to package that produce and distribute it to my customers. So um, that is another way to mitigate risk because then you can set aside a certain portion of your CSA that's like, hey, I don't have to have peppers on this date, but I'm telling the farmers that I'm working with, it'd be great if I could have 25 pounds or 50 pounds of peppers for three weeks in a row when you have them some flexibility on when you need them, knowing that you can get produce from someone else. Because you call if you call any vegetable farm at any time in the season and you're like, what do you have? I will buy anything that you have. Oh, there's going to be something. There's going to be bumper crops. <laughs> including appreciation. <laughs> yes, including appreciation. And um, the willingness to let farmers set their own prices too, I think is really important around that kind of collaborative CSA model. But ultimately, I wasn't collaborating with those farmers. Like we weren't sitting together uh, in the off season, putting together these boxes, it was still my management. I was just their customer. 
But it's a real win-win and definitely a risk management strategy for mm -hmm. you as Mm -hmm. the farmer to know you don't have to do it all. You don't. And by not doing it all, you're actually helping other businesses thrive. Right. Exactly. And I think that's also something else that was left out of the narrative of my vegetable farm training was a lot of farmers are doing it all themselves. And it is kind of like viewed as a cop-out to source other products, but that's not what it is at all. It's actually quite lucrative and it helps out the community in a way where all of a sudden we're not competing with each other, we're helping each other. Um, so, you know, why, why reinvent the wheel? Or if you're not in a position to buy equipment with someone, maybe you should just buy their crop from them and help them distribute it and expand in that way. Maybe the model is not all of us growing 50 different kinds of vegetables or more. Maybe it's a lot of us getting together and just growing six, seven, or eight vegetables really, really well that maybe are spaced throughout the season in an intelligent way to to help ourselves not be stressed out and managing, you know, 500 irons in the fire. Maybe there's like a whole new model that needs to be birthed out of the stresses and the people who are dropping out of farming. It's crazy. People really are quitting. Brilliant farmers are quitting farming. And this is telling. When people are dropping out because of stress, because they can't afford to put their kids through college, whatever the reasons are, because their partnerships are falling apart due to stress, it's like, we got to pay attention to this. Um, who's going to grow the food? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and one of, one of the things, too, that you use to manage risk throughout your story here has been new ideas and both new ways to look at your existing farm businesses, but just new things, period, right? When you talk about the different things you've grown or the different kinds of collaborations you've formed. And I want to talk a little bit about a, a bigger new idea you had that sounded like it birthed a little bit when you had some time and space during your sabbatical year, right? Of mm-hmm. relooking at models of business and nonprofit models or just things other than same old, same old mm-hmm. for-profit businesses, right? And right. then you have brewed up this, you describe it, but it's, it's a shared kitchen idea, more cooperative community-based kitchen? Kind of. It's it's a model that takes the CSA model, you know, a, a, a meal-producing kitchen, the wholesale dairy distribution or pickup model, and, like, community health and access, environmentalism, and local economy all in one. <laughs> no, 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 no yeah, short order yeah, there. No, it's everything. It really is. And, and really hub. at the, the hub, is it's a community health hub. And it's also a way to bring farmers back into farming or into farming as a career path that's actually viable. So the idea is basically, so it's not my idea alone, although it is the culmination of 15 years of vegetable farming in combined or in conjunction with my nurse, our registered nurse friend, Carolyn Carter, who's Monroe based. We got together, we met at an In Her Boots workshop. And you would think we would be the most two unlikely people to get along, but we just made eye contact and it was like, who are you? Oh my gosh, we have a lot of the same ideas. Wow, we got to hang out. And it just was birthed from there. And Carolyn happens to have her own nonprofit called Emerald Heart Center. So we already had the base there. And I had really, that was in the spring of 2018. So I was just coming off thinking that a nonprofit model might be the answer. But I was also really interested in devising a model that wasn't being fueled by handouts alone, something that could bring in its own income or use the sliding scale model to power itself. So 
The idea is essentially that instead of the CSA model where you receive a box of raw vegetables, beautiful raw vegetables, some people are delighted at that. They know what to do with it. Not a single thing goes to waste. They could have twice as much. They get twice as much. Other folks, they want to change their health. They want to get involved in local ag. They like vegetables. But a lot of that box goes to waste, even though if I were to receive a CSA box, that would be like half a week's worth of food for me because I just eat a lot of vegetables, right? But for some people, they can't incorporate it into their weekly meals. So it's taking this idea of a multiple times weekly share of local food, but a kitchen that is centrally located is creating those meals. So it's kind of like this idea of a local foods restaurant, except for there's only reusable packaging. So it would be like stainless steel stackers of food. And a person would use an app to decide what meals they wanted, how many they wanted. Do they want it home delivered? Do they want to eat some at the location in like a community space where no money is exchanged at that time? Or do they want to just come pick up the meals for the week? They could be frozen. They could be ready to heat. They could be hot. There's not 50 selections. It's really like, this is what was local this is an omnivore option, this is a vegetarian option, this is an allergen-free option. And there's a couple things that go with the model that are important to mention. One of them is the influence of my friend Carolyn on this project was largely around how do we get local food into all families regardless of their economic or social status, and how do we measure the health benefits of that diet change. And it's not just physical health. You know, taking the vitals and monitoring the vitals for people who are willing to participate in this way would be really crucial because then we could see what is the impact of incorporating first two local foods, food meals a week. Maybe then it's seven, maybe then it's 14, maybe then it's 21. And also the uh, happiness scale. How do people feel differently by changing their diet? Monitoring and measuring all of that really important, really key. And the community aspect on health, which we don't look at at all. Right. Totally. Like what if there was more healthy people around, they would potentially be making healthier decisions and everyone would benefit. You can move up the economic, social economic ladder because all of a sudden, like you have this foundation of good food through creating more of a demand for local produce. We could create an on-ramp or like the potential to make a fair living wage by growing produce. What's the impact of local organic produce, more farmland that is not having chemical pesticides sprayed on it? So we got the economic impact of providing more outlets for farmers to distribute their food. This would be conversations that are had in the off season, much like, you know, certain restaurants will get together with their farmers and they'll talk about you know, who, how much food that they would buy throughout the season. They talk about prices. Something similar would happen um, under this model as well, where then each week a refrigerated truck would come to each of the member farms and pick up all of the produce that's ready that week, regardless of what was talked about in the winter. It doesn't matter. What do you have that's available? Here's the fair price for it. You package it. You put it in, you grade it, and it goes to the kitchen, and it reminds me of the milk truck model. Mm. When you send out an availability list as a vegetable farmer, all you never know who's going to pick up what. You might have 100 pounds of tomatillos, and you're able to sell 10 pounds of it. Well, guess what? 90 pounds are going to rot in the field, or you're going to harvest them. They're going to go to the food pantry, but most likely they go back to the earth, which is not terrible, but it was also a big waste of time, right? 
the milk truck comes and picks up all the milk and it goes into uh, processing and distribution, right? What if we use that model for vegetable farmers where you grow everything you can, you have a bumper crop of this, you have less of this, that doesn't matter. Everything is picked up in its prime ripeness. It's graded because there's there's room for seconds in processing. It's taken to the centralized kitchen, the same kitchen that's making the meals, using zero waste to distribute them. And at that point, all this produce is either dried, frozen, canned, or incorporated into the meals for the week, developing a stock of produce so that no produce is wasted that then can be turned into winter meals. Because here in Wisconsin, we can grow everything. We also know how to freeze. We have the capability to can. We can use industrial droughts for dry food and rehydrate it for soups and whatnot. The whole idea is to get meals, replace, not replace the CSA box, because that could be an additional function um, where people could go to classes to learn to cook the very meals that they're eating through the through the community-powered kitchen and learn how to do it themselves and potentially receive a price break. And this would be a model that could be replicated. Exactly. A learning curve. Exactly. It is all about working out the kinks and replicating it. And I think, you know, also a really important point to mention is this would be a sliding scale model that would have 100% transparency. So potentially each week on folks' app where they interface with the kitchen – they could see how much it costs for the raw materials, just the ingredients for their meal. Maybe that's around the $3 per meal price point. Then they're shown, add three more dollars to that to cover the labor for your meal. And then they're shown, add three more dollars to cover the total expense to have the community-powered kitchen open, to pay for the distribution or the, the transport of the produce, to have it home delivered. To have the staff to the do that. The staff, the, you know, everything and then maybe there's another opportunity, $3 beyond that or open-ended beyond that to supplement other folks having these good foods. Now, we're still potentially up to $12 and we still um, need to run the numbers on all these things. But how do you get your everyone involved to be paid a living wage with benefits, including your farmers? Why don't we get benefits? We want benefits too. Part of the sliding scale is the opportunity to worker share, which is another small farm concept of trading labor and getting good at different roles, even becoming a professional, even though money's not being exchanged, right? Being able to jump onto the community-powered kitchen model and trade labor and potentially develop job skills during that, whether it's delivery, professional kitchen skills, you know, making this thing work working in the kitchen as a or in the in the in the community powered kitchen as a server during the community meal times like doing delivery posting flyers working on those farms like you could potentially get meals by putting time in and for folks that don't have mobility are not able to enter a, a job market or put in time that's who the sliding scale will cover to support their equal access to health in the community. So, And that sounds like the ultimate way, really, to manage risk, right? In a regional food hub is everybody's yeah. involved, right. everybody's contributing. And everyone's eating awesome. People There's are no waste. learning. There's no waste. Any any vegetable scraps, all these things that would happen in the kitchen would not be thrown in the garbage. They would go back to farms, to compost. Um, there's, so many, there's so many things within our proposal that are addressing local a local economic boost, a community health boost, an environmental boost, you know, how do we even know how much farmland it would take to feed a city like Monroe, Wisconsin of 10,000 every day, two meals a day, let's say. Do we even know what that is? Is it 1,000 acres? 
is it a hundred acres? You know, and and including like a, a healthy portion of animal proteins, not an excessive amount. I mean, this would really change people's diets, but also give people an opportunity to give feedback. Like, we liked this meal. We didn't like this meal. Or what's the recipe for this meal? Oh, that's how you made this? This is so simple. Maybe for one meal a week, I should get the the CSA version where it's like, here's the recipe. Here's the raw produce. Here you can save on labor and distribution by coming and picking that up as a set of raw ingredients, you know, and and that way you you can learn to cook or you maybe you just don't have time, you know, and and a big, you know, take home or life lesson of Carolyn, my partner in developing this proposal is working moms. She's like, how do they even do it? You know, like going to work and then, you know, being not always, but often responsible for preparing meals. It's like, how do you prepare healthy meals for a growing family from local food when the expenses are high and the time is low? Sure. <laughs> and it's like, what if folks could have some of those meals delivered hot and the people delivering could have access to meals through doing that labor of delivery? You know, what if some of those meals are eaten as a family at a table with just people from the town around them? What kind of conversation would you have? Wouldn't it be great to see your whole town there enjoying healthy food that's really delicious and pretty simple? You know, so it's not this idea of a soup kitchen. It's not handouts. You could give time and get food. And certainly there are people within our community that really just need food first. They need food as foundation. And others in our community that are doing really well, they're just super short on time. Sure. And this meal program would, would, it's food. We all need to eat three times a day. It shocks me how little we talk about food and how related it is to health. We're very obsessed with other things that respond to people's health needs and Part of an organic mindset, whether you're organic dairy farming or vegetable farming, it's prevention. And if you want to have, you know, a healthy lifestyle, try preventing illness through years and years of eating well. It really works. It really works. Well, we will. This is fantastic, FL, and all the best with it. And we will we will come back and talk more because you'll have learnings and insights. And uh, I look forward to, to what's ahead. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for listening to our In Her Boots podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kiverest, with the Moses In Her Boots project. This episode's audio engineer was Liam Kiverest of TechSocket.net. The podcast was brought to you by the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, Moses. The mission of Moses is to educate, inspire, and empower farmers to thrive in a sustainable organic system of agriculture. For more information on Moses, In Her Boots, and a bounty of organic resources, check out mosesorganic.org.